tightening restrictions to buy more time. The consequences of not slowing things down, of not taking these actions are just too dire. New public health orders as Omicron changes the trajectory of BC's pandemic. The hit to businesses. Gyms gone, bars gone. People socialize with. Yeah, it's uh, pretty disappointing, man. Another winter of discontent for struggling sectors. And into the deep end. This is definitely one of the moments that I'll never forget in my life. The hero cop who says he was just doing his job. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Just in time for the holidays, some new public health orders to help limit the spread of the Omicron variant. And they come on the heels of several other restrictions that came into effect just yesterday. Richard Zussman joins us now to break down these new rules and regulations. Richard. These are much more substantial restrictions, Sophie. They will impact a lot of holiday traditions. If you go to a theater to see a holiday show, if you go to a restaurant, if you go to a bar or a nightclub, all of that impacted on top of rules already in place to impact social gatherings. The variant that stole Christmas. Omicron is making a difference in our trajectory of our pandemic now in British Columbia and that we need to take additional actions. With Omicron cases on the rise, BC health officials putting in sweeping new measures in a desperate attempt to save the province's health care system. There will be no indoor organized gatherings of any size. This includes weddings, holiday parties, receptions and funerals. Some things are becoming very clear. One of those is that uh, Omicron is definitely spreading rapidly and is more transmissible. All the restrictions come into place at 11.59 p.m. Wednesday night and will last until January 18th. Bars and nightclubs will be closed. So will gyms, fitness centers and dance studios. Sports tournaments are cancelled. We have seen an increase in hospitalization in places like the UK that are ahead of us in terms of transmission of Omicron. And more recently and closer to home, we've seen this as well in Quebec, which is very concerning. The biggest balancing act for the province, personal social gatherings at people's homes. They are banned for anyone over the age of 11 who has not been vaccinated. The law restricts gatherings to one household plus one other, or one household plus 10 guests. You need to keep your groups as small as possible and it ne needs to be the same group of people. So not um, one family here tonight and another tomorrow and lunch with friends the next day. All scheduled non-urgent surgeries after January 4th could be postponed to manage hospital capacity and to redeploy staff with urgent and emergency surgeries continuing approximately in the range of 3,000 to 3,500 less surgeries a week, allowing our hospital staff to prepare. All seated events like concerts, sporting events, movie theaters and shows will be reduced to 50% capacity. All events will require a BC vaccine card and restaurants, pubs and cafes can remain open, but are to cap tables at a maximum of six people with no mingling between tables. If we didn't do something more um, more dramatic, more intense right now, uh, that we, we couldn't recover from it if it continued in the way it was going. 
Dr. Henry noting there is some discretion when it comes to those social gatherings. So she is trusting British Columbians will make good decisions. Every additional person in your home could be additional risk for COVID. But there is that understanding that people need that personal connection. Chris and Sophie this time of year also suggesting you may want to spend some time outdoors if you are limiting those social gatherings indoors. All right, thanks for that. Richard Zussman live in Victoria tonight. All right, then, no surprise. The new measures mean New Year's Eve celebrations and large organized gatherings are canceled and wedding planners are scrambling to reschedule some of their receptions. Gyms, dance studios and nightclubs, as you saw, all have to close under the full weight of the new round of restrictions. And as Amadagahi reports, some say it will take years to catch up financially. Partnership with all After watching with bated breath, the owner of a Vancouver nightclub has just realized all of the decorations and all of the time and money spent planning holiday events and New Year's Eve are for naught. Gyms gone, bars gone. This will probably cost us, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars in sales. As he spoke to us, Dave Kershaw, the owner of Cabana Lounge, was already getting calls for cancellations and refunds. My rent of $28,545.58 will be due on January 1st. I would hope that the you know, province will look at compensating us some way to cover costs, considering we can't open for the biggest night of the year. So just calling to let you know your session tomorrow at 11 um, is unfortunately cancelled. At the VIP Fitness and Lifestyle Gym in Vancouver, staff immediately began cancelling pre-booked private sessions. The owner is heartbroken and fears the worst for her new local business. Now, like the other gyms, ordered closed until January 18th. Wedding industry also crushed, says Candace Jones, who has clients waiting since 2020 to get married with family. The many COVID restrictions on private events has forced some of her colleagues to change careers. It's been so frustrating because, I mean, majority of us have a, love, a, a job we love. Majority of us have a job we love. And, you know, it's, it's not just financially a hit, but it's mentally. Like, it, we want to be working. We love it. We, you know, are working with our clients, so, you know, years before weddings are happening so it's it's draining in the restaurant industry there is relief back to six per table but the hours and capacities are untouched practically speaking i think what dr henry is saying is that restaurants are a safe place to go they're a safe alternative in a very managed event so we're happy now for the businesses and operations forced to close cancel and shutter the focus immediately becomes a call for compensation the province is promising to provide financial support that it says it will need a couple of days to announce. Imadagahi, Global News. And as if to emphasize the point, BC has broken a new COVID-19 record for daily infections. We have 1,308 new cases. That is the highest single-day case number on record, and it pushes our total number of cases since testing began to close to 230,000. We have one new COVID-related death to report. 192 people are in hospital. 76 people are in ICU. Active cases have jumped to well over 6,000. That number has doubled in the last week alone. And 88.9% of eligible British Columbians aged 12 and older are now fully vaccinated. Well, Omicron is also affecting BC's test positivity rate. For more on mm -hmm. that, let's bring in 
Keith Baldry. And uh, why is test positivity important, Keith, and how has it changed over this pandemic? Basically, it's tied to the case numbers. It's not the all-inclusive important number, but uh, the fewer the cases, the fewer hospitalizations. The more the cases, the more the hospitalizations. We were doing great on the positivity rate until Omicron came along. And part of the reason many people are getting tested right now, those long lineups everybody sees for five-hour waits, is the reason we're testing more than ever. And when you test a lot, you're going to find a lot of COVID, and Omicron is really driving the numbers. Take a look at what's happened the last few days. These are not a seven-day average. This is just the one-day finding through the last few days. It was down a little more than 3% at the beginning of the month. But then look at the climb, more than 4%, more than 5%, 6%, 8% approaching 9%, which means our positivity rate has tripled in the course of three weeks. We've never seen that before. And it's worse in some health authorities. Dr. Bonnie Henry today pointing out with more testing, we're finding more Omicron. Our test positivity is going up. It's still lower than that. Uh, we had very high test positivity in the north. That's come down, thankfully, but it is going up. It's uh, in the 5% range, I believe, uh, over today. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, we're doing lots of testing. And at that 5%, um, that's large numbers of people. Okay, Keith, we're also getting a look at just how many Omicron cases we have. How does that relate to test positivity? Yeah, it's not a coincidence that where there's more Omicron, the test positive rate is significantly higher. So we're now at 756 cases. That's a 150% increase from Friday when we had 302 cases. So it's doubling a little more than every two days. And it's doubling in three health authorities in particular. Vancouver Coastal, for example, now has the most cases by far, 413 cases. They've got a test positive rate of 6.5%, and that's growing. Vancouver Island has a high positivity rate, more than 200 Omicron cases. Fraser as well, starting to inch up with Omicron cases and test positivity. Still high uh, positivity rates in the north and the interior, but relatively very few Omicron cases. So we're on a trajectory now. If our, if our positivity rate doesn't start coming down soon, and it likely won't, we'll be matching Ontario and Quebec. Ontario's approaching 10%. They're finding about 3,500 cases a day. Uh, Quebec's even higher than that, and they're about 4,300 cases a day. We're testing 15,000 people a day now. You do the math, if we get to 10%, that's 1,500 cases a day and we'll likely get there very soon. That's incredible. All right. Thanks for that, Keith. We're learning some new details about how the province plans to roll out its rapid antigen testing program. B.C. officials expect to receive millions of the at-home test kits by the end of January. But as Aaron MacArthur reports, it'll still be limited to areas where the province deems the highest priority. The line started hours before the test site opened for the day. By mid-morning, cars were stretched out for blocks. People waiting more than four hours to get a COVID test. People with symptoms and some just simply wanting peace of mind. We do not have enough tests and we've never had enough tests in Canada to do that. In order to reduce the pressure on the PCR test sites, BC is finally making rapid tests more accessible. By the end of December, BC will have 700,000 more tests to distribute, 11 million by the end of January. Initially, the tests will be used at collection sites, healthcare facilities, and in rural and remote communities. All long-term care staff and visitors will be able to access rapid testing. Our biggest concern, of course, is if, um, if Omicron spreads so rapidly uh, and if staff are affected and have to stay home, that's going to put us in an extremely precarious position. B.C. will have ample supply by the end of January, 
half a million to keep both K-12 and post-secondary schools open. But unlike other provinces, only a fraction will be take-home tests. Critics want to know why BC residents can't go to a shopping mall or a transit hub to grab a take-home kit. The bottom line message is there is no broad access for the general public. Instead, the vast majority of tests delivered to BC will continue to be held back to manage outbreaks and assist in contact tracing. We look at the model uh, in the UK, for example, where they provide uh, rapid tests for free. It has not stopped the surge in cases that they're seeing. Expect new guidelines on testing in the coming days. Fully vaccinated people with mild symptoms will be encouraged to stay home and self-isolate instead of waiting hours in traffic. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Freezing rain is falling in many parts of Metro Vancouver, making for treacherous conditions on the roads. For more on what we can expect, let's bring in our senior meteorologist, Christy Gordon. Christy? Sophie, we've had reports of this freezing rain all across the lower mainland right now. Here's a look at an image from earlier today in the Chilliwack region. So here you can see that it's raining, but it's minus four close to the ground. Those are the exact conditions you need to create that thick layer of ice. And look at this image from the Pitt Meadows area. So dangerous conditions on sidewalks and roads, non-essential travel is recommended in all of these regions. This is where we have the potential through the evening and overnight. By tomorrow morning, conditions will be a lot better. So if you can avoid travel, and that includes areas across inland sections of Vancouver Island, eastern sections as well. When I come back, we'll have a quick explanation of how freezing rain occurs. And of course, we're going to have a look at the long range forecast, snow in the forecast, lots of warnings in place. I'll have break down all the details. All right. Thanks for that, Christy. Just like the Coquihalla Highway, a critical rail link was destroyed in the atmospheric river washouts. But crews have been working nonstop to get it fixed and restore supply lines. And the before and after pictures are quite astonishing. We've got that and much more next on the News Hour. An artifact from the dawn of the digital age. What the world's first text message sold for at auction coming up. And even if they can't feed the crowd, there's still a crowd to feed. What the Vancouver Canucks are doing with all the food they can't use later. Right now, though, another big step forward for motorists in B.C. one day after the Coquihalla reopened to essential truck traffic. A significant stretch of Highway 3 is now back open for non-essential travel. And as Taya Fast shows us, new traffic control measures are going up in Princeton in a bid to keep things safe. Traffic between Highway 3 and Highway 5A in Princeton will soon flow in a much safer way as two new traffic lights are being installed at key intersections in town. One's right behind me is the, the uh, intersection of Bridge Street and Highway 3 and the other one is going to be just, just up the street a little bit on Tapton and uh, Highway 5A So and they're going to be um, linked together so that they can, can make a continuous flow of traffic. This is going to make this intersection a lot safer. It's also going to have pedestrian-controlled crosswalks. There will also be new right turn lanes and lighting between the traffic lights, something the town has been asking for for years. We've been asking for traffic control on this highway for over 20 years. And uh, when, when they redirected everybody through here, um, I did strongly ask that they come up with a solution very quickly that uh, would be long-term and not just a short-term fix. And the Ministry of Transportation came through with uh, 
with the stoplights and I'm very grateful that they they listened to us. Now the project will move quite quickly to help support the increased amount of traffic along Highway 3, which reopened to regular passenger vehicles on Tuesday. The gas station entering Princeton packed with travelers. Grateful Highway 3 is open for recreational travel. We thought it was going to get canceled until they told us, you know, the Coke opened up early and, and they were opening this up. So, uh, yeah, we haven't seen our kids and grandkids in a few months, so it'll be good to go up there. I went down six weeks ago expecting to come back in a week. Well, it's mixed, you know, because it's Christmas and everybody's there, but... Uh, I'm, I'm happy to go home. Mayor Coyne is again reminding drivers to slow down and drive with ease on the highways and in town. You know, if you are coming, just be respectful, respect our clerks, respect the flaggers, drive the speed limit, please. And if you are coming into the downtown core, please try to stay out of the uh, evacuated areas. The new stoplight at Highway 5A and Highway 3 is expected to be operational by the end of the week, and the traffic light at Tapton Avenue should be completed early in January. TFS Global News, Princeton. On the topic of improvements, we are getting a much better idea of the damage done to BC's rail system by November's floods and slides and how it was repaired. As Ted Chernecki reports, as with the Coquihalla Highway, it took a massive effort to get the trains running in remarkably short order. The fact any trains are moving through the Fraser Canyon is remarkable. Even more remarkable is that they've been doing so since December 4th. In just three weeks, CN has gone from images like these taken near Ashcroft, east of Worcester, where tracks are left dangling midair, or any one of several other slides or washouts, all the way to a main line that's not only operational, but operating at near normal levels. Our network productivity and our capacity has returned to our near uh, normal levels previous to the washout and previous to other years. So we were back in line with where we expect to be. Both CN and CP took major hits on the infrastructure. For CN, one of its biggest repair jobs came at Jackass Mountain below the Coquihalla. You're seeing at the bottom of the image is obviously the, the Fraser River and you see a large amount of, of essentially sediment that has come down uh, from the mountainside right through the highway through where the uh, railroad track infrastructure used to be and has deposited itself down in the bottom of the river valley uh, from from obviously the slides and that on the uh, from the rain of November 14th and 15th. Um, what you're looking at is essentially a void where our tracks used to be through that location. If you look closely, you can see the CN line is still intact, suspended high above a new cavernous void that needed to be filled. And 400 men and women working 24-7 did just that, bringing in the equivalent of 25,000 truckloads of rock and fill. Fortunately, we had rail access from this site, both in the easterly and westerly direction, and we were able to leverage two uh, local rock pits and operate train service between the rock pits and the site to bring material out. And trains are rolling again over this same spot, albeit at reduced speed, until a more permanent structure is built. Last month's deluge showed that culverts aren't good enough, in this case, anymore. So, you know, surges, uh, obviously culverts become more susceptible to surges than bridges are. So the want is to, to build that resiliency at that location and build a bridge. And the Vancouver Port Authority is reporting Anchorage is currently at 81% and rail volume has stabilized. Ted Chernock, Global News. Coming up, a flight detour dilemma. Why we're sitting for an additional two nights in, in uh, Calgary is beyond me. What the airline did to him is a cautionary tale for any traveler. Lessons learned in Consumer Matters next. And a police officer hailed as a hero talks about his decision to dive right into a rescue. 
Another busy commute for eastbound traffic along Highway 1 in Burnaby with congestion through Kensington to the Portman Bridge. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $18 million. Lotto Max Dream to the Max. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. Passenger rights have been a big issue during the pandemic, and with Omicron sweeping the world, air travelers are once again finding their flights suddenly canceled or rebooked. Let's bring in Consumer Matters reporter Ann Drua with more on protections for passengers. And Thanks, Sophie. You may recall Consumer Matters helped a WestJet customer get a refund when the airline changed his itinerary and he couldn't get through to a customer service agent. However, air passenger rights advocates say it shouldn't have come to that. Airlines should be following the air passenger protection regulations that are currently in place. When we first met Craig Herman, WestJet had changed his itinerary. His original itinerary to Veradero, Cuba, was scheduled to depart from Kelowna on December 26 and return January 3rd. But his new itinerary now had him departing on December 24th on a red-eye flight and returning January 3rd with a two-day stopover in Calgary before arriving in Kelowna. Typically, when I've seen these, it's an hour here, an hour there. Craig says when he checked for WestJet flights online on his own, he saw several flights between Calgary and Kelowna that wouldn't have required him to stay for two nights. They have multiple flights uh, that fly out on that day or the next day so why we're sitting for an additional two nights in in uh, Calgary is beyond me. In the end Craig couldn't even reach a WestJet agent by phone or email and came to Consumer Matters where we eventually got Craig a full refund. However air passenger rights advocates say Craig never should have been put in that position by the airline and when an airline changes your flight itinerary it is in practical terms a flight cancellation or delay. Whenever your flight does not operate and the airline chooses not to operate it the airline is required to rebook you on a new itinerary that gets you to your destination as soon as possible, as close as possible to the original time, and we are talking about at a later time. If the airline cannot do so within nine hours of your original departure time on their own or their partner's flights, then they have to rebook you on flights of other airlines. In other words, if it's the airline's decision to change your flight, the airline has to ensure passengers complete their itinerary as soon as feasible, as outlined in the air passenger protection regulations. The airline cannot tell a passenger, well, we are offering you a flight tomorrow, take it or get a refund, if there is a flight available for the original date of travel, even if it is on another airline. Consumer Matters reached out again to WestJet to find out if the airline followed the APPR and offered Craig Herman another flight that was closer to his original booking dates when it changed his itinerary. WestJet told Consumer Matters the airline did follow the rules. The APPR was followed appropriately, including sections 11, 12, 17 and 19 in addition as was our tariff. Those sections refer to flight disruptions, delays and cancellations. They are trying to engage in a public relations damage control by flatly denying the obvious. It's a no-brainer that WestJet broke the APPR. They are just refusing to own up to it. Herman says WestJet gave him no explanation behind his itinerary change. The airline only stated in an email it was making adjustments to its flight schedule. Section 13 of the APPR states a carrier must provide information to impacted passengers, including the reason for the delay, cancellation or denial of boarding and the compensation the passenger may be entitled to. None of which Craig Herman says was done in his case. 
Now, we also reached out to the Canadian Transportation Agency asking how many fines have been issued for airlines for breaches related to the APPR. We were told since the coming into force of the regulations in July of 2019, the CDA has issued 11 notices of violation, six of those for a total of $59,000 related to provisions of the APPR dealing with communication requirements. Meantime, airline passenger rights advocates say enforcement of the regulations is basically non-existent. And if you have a consumer issue for me, you can email me at consumermatters at globalnews.ca. All right. Thanks, Anne. Well, he's not a good swimmer, but that didn't stop him from jumping into the deep end. And I uh, jumped into the pool and there was it. I managed to find the driver. The hero cop who saved a couple from their sunken vehicle later. But first, how the neighborhood is making spirits brighter for a family stricken by cancer. both ways at the Lionsgate Bridge tonight with massive lineups out of both North and West Vancouver, while westbound Georgia Street is slow on the approach to the Stanley Park Causeway. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at BCAA.com. I'm Trish Jewison in the Global Traffic Center. An Nanaimo family that's been fighting an unthinkable health battle is hoping for a Christmas miracle. The Caverly family has been fighting cancer for years with the help of their community, now, after a devastating loss, they're relying on the kindness of others once more. So they're going to go right there. Every decoration, every string of lights put on display just like so. From one end, it's like big V's. I can show you the picture. The community coming together, lighting up this home, helping to recreate a family tradition. I think that's mostly everything. Mostly everything, because this year, they're missing one very important piece. Bruce was... An incredible father, an incredible husband, and he loved Christmas, and we thought this year will be our last year to kind of do it all up for him. Bruce Caverly passed away in May after a hard-fought battle with urethra carcinoma. He left behind his wife, who was also fighting stage 4 breast cancer, and their three children. They wanted the house to be bright enough for him to see from heaven, so. And just when the holidays couldn't feel more dim, family and friends Merry Christmas! turned on the lights. It's pretty fun to just get everyone together and, uh, and just make this happen. We're all here together to support Sindra and the children here. Since Bruce's passing, the family has struggled to make ends meet on just one terminal benefit. The house is on the line and bills are adding up. We really want to try to stay in this home for at least a couple more years and just to keep the stability for the kids. To help make that a reality, people from across the country have stepped up, raising more than $4,000 in an online auction. And now a GoFundMe has launched in hopes of stretching the support even further. Our community's always surrounded us and lifted us up and taken care of us. So yeah, any support is always appreciated. While the family knows they'll always be missing that very important piece, at least now, the path forward is a little brighter, bringing hope and optimism this holiday season. I see us rebuilding and just figuring out how to live without him, just one day at a time, really. Kylie Stanton, Global News.
In Health Matters tonight, Health Canada is asking you to check your medicine cabinet for powdered cold and flu medications sold at several drugstores because they've now become the subject of a recall due to the potential health risk. They include these generic store brand hot lemon drinks and affected brands include Life, Western Family, Pharmasave and Wellness by London Drugs. Health Canada says the producer of the medication couldn't demonstrate the products remain safe and of good quality until the expiry date. Anyone who has any of the affected products is asked to dispose of them safely, and if you have consumed them already, you're asked to contact your local health care provider. Well, the Canucks can't lose with their latest efforts. Turning what was a negative experience into a really positive one. How the team scored with an epic donation of food that it can't sell to fans. But first, the hero officer who faced his fear to rescue two people from a sunken vehicle. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. It was a crash that could have had a tragic outcome if not for the actions of one Surrey RCMP officer and two Good Samaritans. That's right. He braved icy water and jumped into a backyard pool to save two seniors trapped in their crashed SUV. And as Catherine Urquhart reports, he says he was just doing what any first responder would have done. A couple in their 80s was trapped in this submerged SUV when Constable Nguyen Gompo got the life and death call. It was scary. It was scary. I was scared. Yep. The vehicle had crashed through a fence and into the pool, which was an icy 38 degrees. I jumped in the pool to try and get the driver's side door open uh, to no avail. We busted out the back window and I kind of reached on to the back of the truck with all my might and just held on to try not to let the car sink too far down because the guy was, he was up to his neck. Like, he had his head back. You can see the water level right on his jaw. Once on scene, 35-year-old Gonpo immediately assisted the others by jumping in. I did not see the driver at all, and I was in a panic mode as well. Um, I'm not a good swimmer. Then he found the driver. Immediately I say, sir, uh, keep breathing, keep breathing, sir. I'm here to you know, help you out. And there was no response at the end. I just felt his hand grab me. And as soon as I felt that, I tried to grab him. I told him, sir, I'm going to drag you out. After lifting the man out of the pool, he went back and pulled out the woman. He is a true hero. Uh, he jumped in the water and he went to work. Wow. I can't say enough for that guy. He was awesome. This modest father of three young children says it's a call that will stay with him Forever. This is definitely one of the moments that I'll never forget in my life. I was, uh, I was, just, hap I was just happy to be there. The elderly man and woman are fully recovered, alive and well, thanks to three strangers who worked together to save them. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Bravery. All right, it's... Uh... You're brave to drive out there in some areas right now. There is freezing rain around and other weather and winter warnings to talk about. Here's Christy with the details now. 
Yeah, so, so much to talk about tonight. The first thing that I'm concerned about is the freezing rain. We've got warnings in place. Here's a look for all of Metro Vancouver, the Fraser Valley, Sunshine Coast, inland and east parts of Vancouver Island. So what can happen is that rain comes down and freezes on impact. So we're talking about slick highways, slick roads, slick uh, walkways. Be very careful. Avoid non-essential travel if you can. We're also expecting heavy snow up towards Whistler, north of Squamish and out towards Hope in the Fraser Canyon region. How uh, freezing rain occurs is basically we have cold air near the surface and that's because of the outflow from the interior, very cold in the interior, but warm air is moving in and it's riding up and over. So the rain comes down in that warm air and then travels through the cold air that's right near the surface and freezes on impact and it can create treacherous conditions. Now beyond that, we're going to see warmer conditions tomorrow with periods of rain. So all of it washing away, but we have the potential for snow into our Friday and yes, Christmas day as well. Could be a white Christmas, Bad news for drivers, great news for anyone just wanting to play. But then beyond that, we're concerned about the extreme cold. So for coastal regions, we're talking about 10 to 15 degrees below seasonal for this time of year. And for the interior regions, we could see between 15 and 20 degrees below seasonal. And not only could we see that uh, extreme cold, but also a prolonged period. So we're talking about potentially four days. So it's a heads up on that. Make sure you check in on anyone that might be vulnerable to the cold. Now, in the meantime, snowfall warnings all across northern BC, central interior regions up to 25 centimeters by tomorrow morning and heavy snow will continue into Thursday morning for these areas. We'll also see snow over lower elevation regions. These are just the regions that have warnings in place with the Kootenai Pass region potentially up to 70 centimeters of snow. Now again for northern regions we're going to see the precipitation slip to the south so a clearing trend in the far north. Snow though expected in the central and southern parts of the province. There's even a risk of freezing rain in through Kelowna, Asuyus, and Merritt tomorrow, whereas the south coast, the risk of freezing rain eases. Tomorrow, we're expecting just rain. Showers on Thursday, but by Thursday night, the potential for snow once again, and certainly into our Christmas day. Boxing day is when the cold starts to push in, and we're concerned about that. Tonight's central windows weather window comes to us from the Pitt Meadows area, showing the sheet of ice on the windshield there. Thank you to Dave Cole for sharing that one with us. And yes, that risk is still possible this evening into the overnight hours shouldn't ease up until tomorrow morning. Wow. Back to you guys. That is, that's quite a picture. Almost looks like a painting. Thanks, Christy. It does. All right, the Vancouver Canucks are making the best of a bad situation with home games postponed and a lot of food that fans will never consume. So the company called in two local organizations that could really use it at this time of the year. Squire Barnes reports. The moment three Vancouver Canuck home games were postponed for COVID reasons, this happened. All the food that would have been sold to fans was packaged up for charity. It's quite a bit. We've already had the Salvation Army by this morning um, and now we're donating the, the rest to the Greater Vancouver Food Bank in turning what was a negative experience into a really positive one. This is the same thing that happened in March 2020 when COVID first shut down the NHL. Back then, the Canucks also decided to make meals for the less privileged using the food they had for fans. We started to prepare uh, bagged lunches for Salvation Army, and that's where it all started. And uh, so we had lots of roast beef. Um, I got prime rib here, so we we're making prime rib sandwiches. But it grew from there. The Canucks used their kitchen staff to make meals beyond the leftover food from postponed games. And they partnered up with the food bank as well. 
you know, the, the, the support that we've seen through this is incredible. And, you know, it, it, it's the size and the scope of it that people are, uh, they, they need to grasp. Uh, and this literally equates to 80, uh, 850 pallets of food or 85 five-ton trucks loaded full of these meals. So over the last 18 months, it's been incredible. The program went so well that by September, the Canucks had delivered one million meals. I mean, it all started from, you know, from our vision, like what, what, what the Canucks are, and Canucks are, you know, community. Like this wouldn't have happened if everybody wasn't pulling in the same direction. And so to be able to kind of um, touch people's lives through food and uh, is, you know, that's what I do for a living, but this, that's what I do for a living, but wow, this is the, my most proudest professional achievement I've ever done. Oh, oh sweet. Mm-hmm. It worked out. Yeah. <laughs> And, they, and they, when they, they did it back in March of 2020, when the NHL shut down for a few months, they had to think of this on the fly. This wasn't something they planned four months mm-hmm. in advance. So no, they pulled it off. Not. Uh, no, none of us planned for this. Four yeah, that's true. That's a very good point. Um, <laughs> all, right, all right. Canucks are winning in other ways, too, aren't they? Yes, they are. Um, the players are giving Bruce Boudreaux credit for turning things around with the team. He, in turn, gives the players credit. They are all have been superb um, for me. I mean, to say anything less than that would be wrong. Whenever they play again, they will be on a six-game win streak. Unbeaten under Boudreaux, today was the final practice before the Christmas break. All right, also tonight, the man who sent the very first text and what that digital artifact is worth today. I guess we got to wish the Canucks a Merry Christmas and a, and a Happy New Year. <laughs> yeah. They're off on their Christmas break now. We'll see you when we see you. Yeah. Well, that's just, that's the truth. Who knows when uh, you'll see them again, as long as they don't get any more COVID cases. But, of course, the teams they play have to also not have a lot either. Okay. So the Canucks practiced this morning. Then they started their Christmas break. And Vancouver's next game is supposed to be the 27th against Seattle. But, as we just said, that depends on the COVID situation with both teams. Uh, whenever they do play a game, of course, they will be still unbeaten under new head coach Bruce Boudreaux, who uh, so far is loving coaching this group of players as much as they love playing for him. One final practice for the Vancouver Canucks before a short Christmas break and another chance for some fine-tuning. They might be on a six-game winning streak, but according to Bruce Boudreaux, there's still mistakes being made that need correcting in order to have the team achieve long-term success and hopefully a playoff spot. When we're doing the D zone, when uh, it, it becomes a man-on-man situation, not to leave him, to stay with him. Um, the other thing I was talking about is as forwards, we do not want anybody to come through the seam between the forwards and the defensemen. So they've got to they've play a little lower and allow uh, the pass back to the point, which would be the least dangerous play at that point. During this unbeaten streak, they've scored four or more goals in a game four times. Canucks scoring at a greater clip and giving up fewer goals against them. What we saw under Travis Green, Vancouver's averaging three and a half goals per game while allowing just over a goal and a half. You can just feel different things in the locker room and um, 
there was an excitement. Guys were, you know, excited to play, hungry to play, playing hard. Uh, like you see the way Brock's playing and some of the other guys. I mean, um, I feel like they just found that hunger and excitement and, you know, fun, you know, um, enjoying the game again. And that's how you know, like, you're going to get, you know, guys best. Boudreaux's encouraging his offensive players to do what they do best and it's paying obvious dividends. Brock Besser is once again a legitimate sniper with five goals and nine points under Boudreaux. Elias Pettersson looks to have regained his confidence, four goals and six points for Petey. And what can't we say about the play of Quinn Hughes, who continues to be at the helm of this offensive and winning surge? Quinn Hughes' passing ability is, is so outstanding. I didn't realize how good he was. Go from Brock, uh, how accurate and how quick he gets it away. And he finds the areas in the offensive zone where to shoot the puck and where to those soft areas where he where you can get those shots away. I didn't realize that Pedersen's shot was what it is too. And he's starting to shoot, but we got to get him to do it more often and just give him confidence in doing it. It's not official yet, but the NHL players will not be going to the Olympics. Everything is too iffy with COVID and being quarantined if you catch it while in Beijing. Nobody wants to go through that. So the Canucks... Uh, probably would have had a number of players at the Olympics. Certainly Elias Pettersson, likely Oliver ekman Larson would have been out there for Sweden. And possibly four of their players would have been on the U.S. team. Thatcher Demko, Brock Besser, J.T. Miller, and Quinn Hughes. I don't think anyone wanted to, you know, be over there and stuck there for three to five weeks. And, uh, you know, I think guys would feel bad about leaving their teams here to dry. And, um, you know, hopefully there'll be other chances to go too. Stop this man, Seattle, Cooper Cup. Stop him and you might have a chance to beat the Rams. This is the game that was postponed from Sunday. And Quandre Diggs picking off his old teammate from Detroit, Matthew Stafford. That helps. 3-3 at halftime. Let's go. I want to show you this play first. Wilson is down but somehow throws the ball to DJ Dallas. Take another look. It's not touchdown, so that's still good. Uh, like I said, 3-3 Seattle and the Rams at the half. DJ Dallas scoring here. 10-3 Seattle in the third, but two touchdowns by the guy we told you about. Cooper Cup, including this one, has given L.A. back the lead in the fourth quarter last time. We checked 17-10 for the Rams. This is the uh, World Short Course Swimming Championships, and that's uh, Maggie McNeil of London, Ontario. She was great at the Olympics, and she's great here as well. 100-meter butterfly. She wins gold, won four golds and a silver at these championships as she just stretches out and hits the wall first for yet another medal around her neck. Way to go. And there that was you go. close. That was close, <laughs> but we won it. Mm -hmm. Canada wins. Maggie Magic. All right. Thanks, Squire. Up next, the world's first text message makes history again. It was an historic moment nearly 30 years ago, the first text message ever sent. Now the original digital version has been sold at auction for more than six figures. Kyle Benning spoke to the Canadian who sent the original message and what this moment means for modern communication. While he isn't the most active texter, sending messages has played an important role in Neil Papworth's life. It's not like I send hundreds a day, you know, I'm not a teenager. Three decades ago, he worked as a software developer and sent the first text message. Now, the digital version of that text has sold as a non-fungible token or NFT. I was pretty happy 
that you know it was over a hundred thousand dollars and any any money we've got is gonna go to go to charity Vodafone passed along the NFT to a Paris auction house where it sold for $155,000 Canadian. The proceeds going to the United Nations Refugee Agency. A tech analyst says the NFT immortalizes the start of short messaging service and is as important as Alexander Graham Bell's first sentence through the telephone. Mr. Watson, come here. I want to see you. To carry it forward into the modern era, it is as significant to us as that moment was to that generation. And I think it's somewhat poignant that, you know, someone has decided that they're willing to spend six figures on this. Carmi Levy says the sale of this NFT is also a milestone for the tech industry. We just don't spend enough time appreciating where we've come from, why these technologies are so important. Putting a dollar figure on this NFT uh, confirms that, yes, it is important to us. That first text was sent from a computer to an Orbital 901 phone, which was in front of a Vodafone executive at a party in London. Neil passed along a seasonal greeting. You don't think I've actually had a friend say, can you send me Merry Christmas? But, uh, you know, after this, maybe they will. Which goes to show what holiday cheer is truly worth. Kyle Benning, Global News. It's a weird world we live in. <laughs> is it ever. <laughs> NFTs. Okay, last word, Christy, and maybe it's a word of caution. Yes, so risk of freezing rain still this evening. It should be better tomorrow morning, so avoid non-essential travel if you can. All right, thanks very much, and thank you for watching, everyone. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Have a good night.